Hey there, welcome to XR Industry Leaders with ArborXR. My name is Brad Scoggin, and I am the CEO and one of three co-founders of ArborXR. We've had the opportunity of working with thousands of companies since 2016. And we've learned a ton about what it takes for XR to be successful in your organization. And I'm Will Stackable, co-founder and CMO. This podcast is all about interviewing the leaders who are on the ground making XR happen today. True pioneers in the space, from Amazon, Walmart, and UPS, to Coke, Pfizer, and beyond to uncover the pitfalls, lessons learned, and secrets that you can use to help grow XR in your organization. All right, well today we get to talk to a couple of people from St. James Place. Today we have Josh Ellick, who is the Immersive Technology Manager, and Hannah Frame, who is the Social Learning Tech and Innovation Manager. Great to have you both on the show today. Thanks for having us, super excited to be here. Yeah, it's great that we've uh, finally got everything working. <laughs> yes, we have had some technical difficulties, but we made it, we got through. Um, before we jump in, you know, we always love to hear a little bit about your personal backgrounds, but ahead of that this time, um, because we do have an international audience, uh, some people may be familiar with St. James Place, but uh, I'm sure a, a chunk aren't. So maybe just tell us a little bit about SJP uh, for the listeners who are not familiar with what you all do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, SJP are a FTSE 100 company. So for those of you that are not familiar with what FTSE 100 means, um, it's a share index of the 100 companies listed on the London Stock Exchange. Um, so essentially, SJP provide face-to-face -face financial advice delivered exclusively by our qualified expert advisors who make up our partnership. And we have over 4,000 advisors. Um, and we founded in 1992, so we've been around for, for a few years. And we've got just under £160 billion of client funds under management. So pretty big, I'd say. Yeah, that's awesome. And that was, that was a perfect elevator pitch. I like that. I need that's uh, it, I should do a better job when I talk about Arbor. Uh, well, let's go to your background a little bit. So, Josh, I, I know that you started out as a digital engagement analyst before this. And Hannah, you started out as an intern. So maybe each of you share just a little bit about kind of where you started before this and how you got to your current roles. Yeah, I basically joined as a VR digital engagement analyst when I first joined at SJP. Um, and that was about sort of 18 months ago. I essentially at that time just started on the operational side of things so really sort of supporting how do we take the experiences that we've created so far in VR and it was just sort of one experience that we had at the time and um, how do we make sure we're getting that delivered to the whole business and just really kind of uh, bringing the uh, delivery of that content to life. Um, must have done a half decent job of that because I then ended up uh, getting extended quite a few times to sort of keep supporting with that, but then ultimately starting to look at how we can then scale this out, not just to the initial uh, group that we were using and delivering this this training to, which was within our academy, but then also then branching it out to other pockets in the business um, and really trying to expand the reach of VR as a whole. Um, and that sort of then led me on to taking on more and more projects, um, managing them and uh, just recently in the last sort of four or five months um, got promoted to yeah, immersive technology manager and so yeah just managing more of our sort of VR strategy across um, all of our sort of like projects and sort of within our uh, learning uh, offering. One, one quick follow-up before Hannah before you go uh, I guess and you can answer this as well Hannah but even before this position Josh if you came in as a VR uh, digital engagement analyst just to start with I guess did you I mean VR background before this, just passionate about VR? 
absolutely no VR background <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, so I was in recruitment before this, and I guess um, I started off uh, there doing a bit of like tech recruitment, so recruiting for more like technical roles. And I am a bit of a nerd. I do like my tech, um, but I hadn't ever touched a VR headset before. Um, so I guess for me, it was kind of when I saw this job come available, it seemed to have a really nice blend of uh, sort of very being very sort of people orientated still, because ultimately we got to try and uh, showcase VR as a solution to our whole you know the whole business. Uh, but then there's also still being able to like play around with loads of tech and occasionally ordering a new VR headset and give that a play around. So yeah, I I get the best of both worlds, so I'm happy. Very nice. Yeah, and I'm answering that question. I had no experience of VR um, previously before this. I started, oh, I did an internship, as you mentioned, and then um, applied for the graduate scheme that they have at SJP. So I did psychology at university, had no idea what I wanted to do, but knew I loved SJP as the company. I wanted to be there. Um, so I actually did three different rotations before finding my place in learning and development, um, which was partner lending, talent, and investment communications. Um, but L&D, whilst I was spending my time in talent, we're going through like this transformational change where they were looking at tech. Um, COVID had hit us, so we had to take everything online. And that sparked, as we'll talk later in the podcast, about how we brought tech into learning and development. Um, so since being part of l and I've been focused on social learning, tech and innovation, as well as comms and engagement. Um, so I look at utilising social learning platforms and integrating them with our own l and systems creating social learning content through podcasts, through video creation. Um, I also involve myself with the creation of our virtual reality and our immersive experiences, as well as writing the strategy for the engagement in comms within L&D. So how do we get our users and our learners utilizing the tech that we have on offer? That's great. I want to bookmark yeah. that for later, for later in the call for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the same. We need to dig, dig in a bit more there. It is kind of funny though. I mean, the technology is so new, you know, we all have that moment where we put on the headset and realize, wow, this is real and this is exciting and I want to do something <clears throat> with this. It's going to, it's going to make an impact in the world. Uh, so it's fun, you know, to kind of hear about those, those shared experiences. Uh, so SJP, from my understanding, is one of the first financial services uh, companies to implement VR uh, training. Uh, maybe curious about kind of how VR found its way into SJP and if there was any pushback during that process. So virtual reality was first introduced into SAP when we were redesigning our academy program. So our academy program, for those that aren't familiar, it's the training um, kind of school that provides award-winning financial advice training to um, people that want to be financial advisors. And you can join our academy from a variety of different backgrounds. So um, we decided on VR because like with most companies, when COVID hit, we were looking at how we best utilize the transition to virtual learning. So a big part of our original academy program was role plays um, and with other trainee advisors that were also on the program. And as part of this, we found that learners would very much partner with their friends, their colleagues, um, who were also on the kind of same cohort as themselves. And thus the feedback that they received weren't, wasn't always kind of the most um, objective feedback and they were quite like nice to one another which is great but it's when we're providing training and we want our advisors to be kind of like top notch um, it wasn't the most effective in that format so we started looking at what other means we could bring in and there was actually a study done by PwC in 2020 so 
I'll just talk you through that a bit now. But essentially, um, we they PwC and other companies already knew that VR was an effective like um, means for teaching hard skills and for job skill simulation, such as uh, flight simulator to train flights how to fly. Um, and they did an actual study where they looked at 12 US locations. They took the same training, which was um, addressing inclusive leadership, and they took it in three different learning modalities. So classroom, e-learning, and then VR. And the survey found, and the, and the results found, that actually VR, those that learned in the VR setting, had much higher emotional connection to the learning. They also found that it was way quicker to complete the training. Classroom was two hours, e-learning was 45 minutes, but VR was 29 minutes. And wow. also they found that over time, um, the cost of VR actually really evened out, if not went achieved mm. lower um, when compared with VR training and, um, sorry, when compared to classroom training and e-learning. And um, by all means, I think in the show notes, I'll include a link to that study so we can go and read it in more detail. But we just found that perhaps a great way that we could we could look at virtual reality was implementing it for our role play. So we decided to build our own bespoke role play scenarios where learners could train anywhere, anytime, but in that objective learning environment. So Josh, I don't know if you want to explain a bit more about these role plays that we created. Yeah, absolutely. So um, they are sort of financial advisor and client role play experiences. Uh, so uh, and like Hannah was saying, we delivered this into our academy program. Um, and so essentially we would uh, give them a headset for 12 weeks. So everyone who was going through our academy program, they would all get a headset and then they would then get the flexibility to then use these role plays uh, as and when they wanted to uh, within uh, w within that cohort. So the the actual role plays, they were kind of, almost like a bit of a foray into gamifying some of our learning content as well, because it was ultimately, uh, they would have to choose how to interact with the client on the other side of the table from them. Uh, and uh, basically it was almost like a conversation branching narrative where the scenario could go like hundreds of different ways, depending on how they approach it. Uh, and then you get a score at the end. And um, I think Hannah was sort of like mentioning about the sort of objectivity and like feedback as well and how that's a bit of a challenge with face-to-face -face, uh, like actual role, uh, actual role-playing, I guess I could say. Um, but that uh, we then could almost implement this really consistent way of like measuring people's uh, ability in different areas. So we could, uh, for example, uh, score them on uh, active listening or asking open questions um uh, building rapport and uh give them some like feedback on how to improve that next time around um and it also just means it's in a safe space so they just they can practice that as many times as they want they don't feel like they're getting judged by someone across from them when they feel like they've made a couple of silly mistakes um and again like hannah was saying it means that they can go through this relatively quickly and in sort of a short space of time really actually have like a an impact on improving their their soft skills in these meetings and what you're saying josh we've had over a thousand playthroughs of the role plays and considering we, we launched them would you say like a year ago just over a year and a half ago um but we have we have set cohorts to go for the academy at a set time so it's brilliant that we've had already well over a thousand um run throughs it was from yeah, the beginning of july 
uh, yeah, beginning of July last year, we started capturing all the data for um, our, our role play experiences. And yeah, so we just got over a thousand a couple of days ago. <laughs> wow. And what have awesome. the results been? Has the program been effective? Have you been, have you been able to measure that in any ways? Uh, yeah, so talk a bit about that. Um, so one of the things that does come across on the data is where we have had sort of repeated playthroughs of the role play experiences is actually having an improvements in their score when they go through it. So um, we measure things like their overall score, but then those breakdowns in like active listening, asking open questions, all of that. Um, and there's a consistent trend that the more that people are playing through this experience, the more they're improving their score in those areas. Um, I think a lot of that comes down to just actually being able to more emotionally connect with the person they're they're speaking with and understand a bit better like kind of how to approach a conversation with them um when they understand their goals in a bit more detail as well so it it kind of really like it showed the sort of a strong benefit in terms of being able to replay through it um but other than that as well one of the things that we have been measuring is just a bit of evaluative feedback again on like the um I guess the empathy and really be able to put yourself in the client's perspective. And so we found that uh, quite consistently we were getting very sort of strong positive feedback in specifically that kind of empathy area of uh, of the experience. And that's something that we saw as like quite, uh, quite a sharp difference compared to the other digital mediums of content. Um, so yeah, that was kind of then what led us into our next uh, role play experiences which we're working on now which is on uh, vulnerability so working with sort of vulnerable clients and naturally with that it's really crucially important to uh, be able to empathize with with them very well. I think it's worth mentioning as well we recently won um, an award uh, from Money Marketing which is a well-established um, kind of industry um, well-established not industry well-established company um that yeah we won an award for our award-winning program through the academy which is what we focus our virtual reality on so um our virtual reality has been recognized across yeah different That's awesome. areas i mean it, it is really powerful and unique uh, benefit i think of vr to be able to practice soft skills over and over again and in a safe place like you said and it is funny yeah, I mean, our, our friends are nice to us. They're not objective, <laughs> right? So getting yeah. your feedback. I, a couple of follow-ups. Um, I, I do want to dig in a little bit to understand better, you know, when, when a trainee puts on a headset, exactly what's happening. Uh, but, but, you know, so on some of the stats, the, 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 the improvements in engagement or the improvements in um, empathy or uh, kind of those soft things you're measuring you know, it's like, it's super clear to see, okay, people train faster. It costs less money, right? That's, that's very objective. I'm always curious because Im improving engagement, improving empathy, et cetera, it's very important, but it feels hard to measure. I mean, do you just, and I don't even know what the question is there. I just, maybe your perspective on how do you guys really quantify some of the, the softer, more subjective um, things you're trying to improve and you're seeing, you're seeing the improvement, but, but it just sometimes feels soft. So, so how do you guys, how do you guys quantify that? Yeah, it is a hard thing to like quantify specifically with soft skills because, like you say, soft skills aren't like a uh, almost like a tick box sort of type exercise. It's very right. much like dependent on the person that you're speaking to and kind of their sort of personal situation, all of this sort of stuff. But I think what we had to do was kind of when we were creating these role play experiences, kind of let's say for example, 
um, you know, in a financial advisor role play scenario, um, you know, you, you are going to be sort of talking to them about different products and services you provide. And it's like, do you lean into that too quickly? Mm. Or do you actually take more time to actually kind of just actually have that sort of bit of small talk to start off with and build that level of like trust and openness to kind of allow them to really sort of be really sort of clear and transparent with you about what their their goals are. And so we kind of designed the role play experience to be that they would become more withdrawn if you kind of went into those things too early um, and focused it on kind of uh, essentially, yeah, that, that building of rapport with the client and then allowing that to then be how you can open up the the the, the conversation to um, a lot of different areas. And essentially, yeah, that's kind of how we then attach those kind of decisions that you made in the conversation to having a more sort of like understanding of being tactful and being more sort of empathetic and and all of that so it's not a a hard and fast response i guess to that but um it's it's something we are sort of exploring a bit more with the empathy vulnerability series that we're we're working on now is um sort of very specifically kind of having a score for that and um having decisions in the experience that negatively impact that score versus um ones that are more sort of like sensitive and i guess like more more sort of correct answers and uh it's it'd be interesting I, i'm kind of quite keen to see how that role play experience because we we've literally just started developing it a couple of months ago and it's going to be delivered at the end of this month um so the first thing we'll be doing obviously is trying that out with some focus groups but on the basis of what we've done with the previous role play experiences, I'm confident it will we'll get some really sort of positive feedback on specifically the empathy side of things with that. I think it's also an element of we do um, like measure their confidence as well, though, like their confidence in being able to go and uh, speak to clients. And that was quite a lot of the feedback we got at, at the beginning was when we were kind of more assessing on the preference of role plays versus doing in virtual reality. A, a lot of just the, the generic feedback and um, when we were doing some focus groups with them was that they felt more confident having done it in the virtual reality than in the role plays. So they, when they go to see a client for the first time when they're leaving the academy, they actually, because they've done it in the headset that almost emulates kind of real life and they've had that feedback, they felt they were in a better place to be able to go and have those conversations. So I definitely think confidence is something that would also continue to measure as to how impactful the virtual reality training has been on that soft skills side because like you said mm-hmm. that is the hard bit but essentially if i felt more confident to go and have a conversation based on the soft skills training i've done then we can link it back to, back yeah, to that right, right. yeah that's huge what i mean is there a key metric as you all are you know presenting findings back to leadership to keep this thing growing like is there a key metric that leadership is most excited about from what they what you've done so far think really it's from the skills that we're presenting in terms of like the training how easy is it for then people to then apply those skills in real life and i know that's one thing we have a whole sort of data and evaluation team within learning development that does look at um the quality and like engagement of all of our content and it's one of the key things it's like are we presenting learning in a way that they now feel confident to apply it and if not then you know that's 
not good. <laughs> but then um, what we have noticed with, with VR is because it is so similar to kind of how they would be tackling these problems in in their actual day-to-day -day life. And we, we put a lot of focus and emphasis on that. It's an easier transition to go from learning to application. And mm -hmm. I guess with VR, it's almost like this middle ground where like maybe a lot of digital content before was more like theory-based where you would kind of learn generally what you needed to do, but not necessarily how to do it. Um, but VR is kind of plugging this gap of like being able to practice. So, um, and that's really where we're focusing for, for a lot of our VR content. Yeah. Brilliant. I, I want to circle back to something you mentioned, Hannah, in your intro, which was part of your job is <laughs> trying to figure out how to get your teams and employees uh, to actually adopt these new technologies. What have you seen? Has there been pushback when it comes to VR? Do people not want to put on a headset? Are they skeptical? And what have you been able to do to help people get over that, uh, I guess, adoption curve? Yeah, I mean, because stereotypically we work in the finance company and that's semi old school we, 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 we've changed that now but certainly when we launched it almost two three years ago we were still in that position so it did it was really hard because some of our partnership have been there since 1992 and they've not seen anything like it so to go and put a vr headset and say this is the way you're going to train now we just knew that wasn't going to work but saying that we didn't take no as an answer so we did go quite big bang um, with it and we, we did conferences and attended conferences all across the UK um, at our different office locations where we had our partnership events and we were showcasing our VR role plays and we were encouraging to come and, them to come and try it we were almost like yeah like I said didn't take no for an answer and as soon as someone puts it on I think that's where you can understand for those that haven't tried VR it is very kind of intuitive you just kind of naturally know what to do so we had partners across a variety of different ages that all instantly kind of knew how it worked and, and understood how to um, kind of navigate themselves around. And they all loved it. And like that was the thing is that once the word of mouth started and we got we had lots of press about our, our VR work that was going on, which really helped, um, really supportive of that, showing that we were kind of leading the way. Um, that, that when they were talking to each other, a lot of what we do is with engagement, it's that peer-led. So if your peers are talking about it, then mm. hopefully then they're going to want to try it because they don't want to miss out. Um, so we did a lot of that at the start, which was really good. And we still do that now. Um, and one thing that we recently done, and Josh, you can explain more about this because it was your idea, was um, we have virtual reality hubs. So Josh, I don't know if you want to explain to the listeners about that. That's so nice because I probably actually wouldn't have said anything um, <laughs> about it. But uh, <laughs> right, it, I know it was a good idea. Um, but um, <laughs> so, yeah, we want to try and make VR more accessible. And I guess the challenge is, is that, um, you know, not, like with any business, we have budget constraints. Um, we have a few hundred headsets that we have uh, that we can use within the business. But when you've got, I don't know, I think total is about 16,500 employees across all of SJP, um, that it's just naturally... Uh, you can't give a headset to everyone and then how do you make sure that this content's always accessible to the people who are interested in engaging with it and so um, we just towards the beginning of this year started implementing VR hubs across our different offices so we now have three all together um, a couple in our Sirencester offices which is our like main uh, sort of headquarters uh, head office 
thank you <laughs> and uh we also have one in bristol but we're working on ones in manchester and in london so kind of capturing different areas across uh the uk um so that no matter where our partners are based and they are dotted all over the uk the idea is that then they have a hub which will have vr headsets that are um charged on the dock just ready to go um there's a digital screen which is like interactive um they can click through it to understand not just how to use the headset but also all the different experiences that we offer and uh and they actually also just uh help us actually promote some of the wider stuff we do within the division as well uh so it's cozy inviting spaces to just sit down and explore some of our vr content for a bit that's brilliant. You know, I, I, I think one of the biggest barriers to getting adoption that we hear is the basic one of how do you get somebody actually to put on a headset? And sometimes you have headsets loaded with great content that really could make an impact, but if they're sitting on a shelf collecting dust. So the, the hubs is what a great way of making it accessible, creating a space that feels inviting that people could come, can come into. Could you share, are there, have, you, have you gotten any feedback from uh, you know, you've got now thousands of employees that are and partners that are going through this kind of training. Are you still having to do a lot of poking and pushing and scheduling for people to get into it? Or is there a little bit of word of mouth starting to happen where people come to you and say, hey, I heard this thing was helpful for a partner. I want to get in as well. What, what have you been hearing? Definitely word of mouth. I say, Josh, you get inundated with kind of requests from people emailing you to set up. Um, coming to their team meetings to for them to go out to their partner practices. We've actually loaned headsets at times. So we'll give it to partner practice or whoever it may be to go and have headsets for a couple of weeks and then they can do it in their own time. And that's proven really popular. But yeah, I'd say, Josh, you kind of always getting requests. Yeah, um, I'd say we also just get the, the whole spectrum as like people would expect, like people who just like don't want to go anywhere near it, think it's a gimmick. Why don't we just offer this content as like, uh, something they can do on their laptops um, and just they're like quite reluctant to go touch it with a barge pole basically um, and then we get people who are like much more advocates for it that see it or even just hear about it and get really excited and want to be involved in any pilots that we do and uh, that's really great as well because I think naturally like I don't want to say it but obviously if people are like really resistant to to VR like it's I guess the thing to appreciate is that VR isn't for everyone and it is important that we do offer VR as part of a wider learning um, offering, which includes more face-to-face -face learning, more digital learning, um, sort of peer-to-peer uh, -peer learning. Um, but uh, for people who are interested in it, we do kind of focus on using them with pilots and helping with spreading that word of mouth that Hannah was talking about, just kind of generating a bit of buzz and excitement with some of the partners who are more interested. And then that does seem to then naturally then trickle out because mm. if you know it's, it's this sort of classic fear of missing out uh, i think that seems to work really well um you know some partners having a really good time with uh vr content find it really useful and if they hear it from them rather than hear it from us they're much more likely to be engaged with it i have a basic question that you've talked about this a few different times but maybe just explain you know, I guess one, where is the content coming from? Are you creating the content? And then two, when a trainee puts on the headset, you know, exactly, I know it's a role play, but what is happening inside the headset in that experience? Uh, so we do create bespoke content. So I'd say most of what we're, actually everything we're 
delivering pretty much at the moment is bespoke content that we've created or work with a developer partner to help us create. Um, so we've got a, um, a company called Make Real that we've worked with for a lot of the role play experiences that we've created up to date. Um, we're also working with a consultancy um, that uh, called 55E5 that um, have also helped us from an advisory perspective and sort of with managing some of our VR projects. So um, it's, yeah, it's stuff that we have created for specific use cases within the business, but then we have also been like researching other platforms that will allow us to either create our own content quicker mm -hmm. or uh, just provide a good sort of off the shelf sort of package. Um, so there are some other sort of soft skills, uh, uh, sort of workplace scenario training platforms that we're we're looking at and one of them was body swaps um, mm -hmm. and we've been sort of doing that as a bit of a sort of pilot uh, within the business at the moment um, and uh, another sort of uh, we're looking at sort of how we can integrate AI into our virtual reality experiences as well um, and so there's a another couple of platforms that we're looking at that will hopefully then allow us to evolve from maybe the more scripted role play experiences that we offer at the moment to um, hopefully in the future, uh, more sort of like generative uh, sort of AI and sort of very much having that to and, f uh, to and fro sort of conversation with the person sitting across from you. And um, even from a feedback perspective, um, being able to like assess how people come across in terms of like their body language, um, things like if there's like specific things we want them to say out loud in uh, an experience to someone we can start like hopefully looking to measure that as well mm -hmm. so um i've realized i've just gone on the ramble there but i feel like there is so <laughs> much opportunity with uh vr to start looking at how other technologies can complement it i think it's really exciting like where it can go and then the impacts that could potentially have as well no i want you to keep talking i mean i think you're right <laughs> and we're hearing it from all corners that uh it's this confluence of these different technologies um there's a bit of convergence happening. And I, I think that the AI simulation, the generative learning, I think that's a unexplored frontier uh, that obviously it's still, there's issues in, but we, we're seeing, you mentioned body swaps. They're a fantastic developer. Uh, their team is doing really cutting edge stuff using a combination of VR and AI. So I'll be curious to see what, uh, what conversations you have with them. Well, I want to, I want to ask, well, I, I really want to ask about AI, but I don't want to, I don't want to go there because this is, this is about VR. Um, <laughs> but if you want to, you, you could weave this in, in an answer. Uh, but my question is around just pain points. Um, a lot of companies listening are in various stages of building out a VR program. Some are very early in the process and you've, you have a well-developed VR program at SJP. I mean, I'm sure you've uh, you've experienced everything from hardware issues to software, figuring out content. Uh, what what have you, if you had to look back on the last few years, what have been the major pain points that you've uh, you've encountered and, and maybe any lessons learned? And if you both want to answer briefly, that, that would be great. And I don't know if you want to start and I'll yeah from the technology side of things, maybe. Yeah, I can, I can definitely start. I think one of the things that was our, pain point at start and, and not so much now as we've kind of evolved was around how we can make it accessible for all because um, accessibility is, a, is, is a massive and, it, and it's really important and it ties in quite a lot with like the neurodiversity aspect of the people learn in, in, in different ways and, and process information differently and so we've 
at the start, I would say our in first role play was not accessible at all. And we got quite a lot of feedback um, about that, that people couldn't access it. Virtual reality wasn't for them. The headsets, the, the, the stone, their brains just don't process it that way. So we made a desktop version on the back of that. So if people don't want to do virtual reality, we have a desktop. It's still interactive. It still um, has all those kind of immersive aspects to it, just obviously via, via the laptop. Um, and then we've also, in our most recent ones, it started including things like subtitles that people can turn on and off. So people can read our um, 360 films rather than have, if they can't listen to it um, in a certain way. And also at a slower speed as well, so people can control their speeds. Um, and we found that we've now we're at a point where we feel we've got a great um, network of people that we can tap into. So we tap into the neurodiversity group at work. We also, when we are focus groups, make sure we're asking questions about accessibility and because we don't know what we don't know, right? So we get this feedback and then we always implement it. And I think we're in a, a great place now that we weren't at the beginning. So that was one that stuck out for me. I don't know about you, Josh. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, totally. The uh, would agree with Hannah on a lot of those challenges. And I think the technology was always a bit of a challenge, like starting off with as well. Um, but then also just like some of the just issues that you have with trying to get maybe 20 people in the room to all put on a headset at the same time and kind of <laughs> what kind of issues come up and it is a bit like whack-a-mole you know you're just kind <laughs> of like trying to sort them all out as they come up um but then i guess again naturally it's a new technology we're kind of like identifying what those challenges are and it meant that then we could start introducing that into any sort of lesson plans or delivery plans around it so we could be a bit more proactive know what issues do sometimes come up and have the almost like where we're trying to get people who are outside of our division more familiar and more becoming experts in vr so that then if there's people within their teams that are struggling then they can support rather than us always having to be the ones that kind of like come in and then naturally that's based on maybe limitations of us like actually being available to help so it yeah it just means that they get more immediate sort of support and have a better experience overall Really interesting. Uh, both of those answers are great. I'm curious, when it comes to some of the logistical challenges, once you started hitting a certain scale, what are what solutions have you found? Obviously, you guys are using Arbor, so that's a part of it. Um, but but even beyond that, what a what does your content pipeline look like? I know you're regularly updating, uh, providing new training modules, and, and you have now devices in multiple locations. So could you just share a little bit about for companies that are looking to go from that first pilot project, which is relatively easy to manage to some kind of scale, what have you found is what's working for you? Okay. I think about the initial, um, I think when you're piloting it out um, and it's at a smaller scale, it's probably much easier from a logistical perspective. And this is what we found to run sessions where you will bring everyone in the room to experience the headsets and ex like the role play. Um, could be in the same room they could be in different rooms but like however you want to set it up but ultimately making it almost like a almost like a course or an event that they kind of like then book onto and uh you hold it all within one room because one of the challenges that we've definitely had with our academy program where we're sending headsets to uh delegates for them to just use in their own time we've have had challenges in getting those headsets back <laughs> we get yeah. them back uh <laughs> but then ultimately we are you know we have let's say 100 headsets out with different cohorts across the academy. Um, while vast majority of them do come back, suddenly it then becomes a bit of a trying to 
chase the last few down and that can obviously take a bit of time and a bit of resource so i think that's also another reason why stuff like the vr hubs is probably a really good idea because you can actually set up a little space within different offices that's relatively inexpensive um that then allows people to actually come and engage with it and use it and then you're not having to worry about the continual sort of logistics um so i think that's something we do want to broach and do much more of and get much more of these hubs uh set up because we could then get to a point where uh we're not having to send headsets out to uh partners for them to use they can just um pop into an office that's like not too far from them yeah that's great that's great feedback um <clears throat> as we kind of move to, towards a wrap here um josh one of the things you said earlier was that, and I think this is really important, um, that VR training is just, it's part of a broader landscape of training. I think you said, Josh, maybe it's Johanna. I think that's important. VR isn't for everyone. And even when it's maybe in its best form, it's not the only way to train. So curious, just, you've had a lot of success. The, the hub sounds like a great next step, um, but where do you see this going over the next three to five years at SJP? Kind of what's your dream of, of what VR could become? Hannah, you say your dream first, and we'll see how aligned our dreams are. Oh, I think it's linking back in with that AI stuff. I mean, who knows where tech's going to be in the next 10 to 15 years, goodness me. But um, I would say as we evolve and are starting to look at bringing AI into a lot of our training, not just our virtual reality kind of experiences, I'm I'm really intrigued to see where, where that goes because that provides that personalized learning journey. And that, for me, is the interesting part because um, like Logue said, everyone learns differently and someone's experience is like, I think it's best when it's not the same as someone else's and therefore when AI, it, it, we, we're not scripting anything, we're not directing someone down a certain route, then that's how people are going to learn, isn't it? The AI with the feedback there. I think also with like reading body language as well, um, so it becomes much more humanised. I think at the moment we don't have that aspect of our virtual reality training, but I would love to see that aspect coming in, especially because the nature of our business is face-to-face -face financial advice. So if we have a way that provides that training that looks at um, like the human aspects, so our, our, our facial expressions, our body language, and can provide feedback in that way, then that will be really exciting because that will be when advisors can apply that in real life when they are giving the face-to-face -face financial advice. Um, so for me, those are my kind of two, I'd say. What about you, Josh? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, a couple of things. One of them is like based on like this this rule that we've got at the moment with any VR content that we're creating is that we're also making it available in some sort of form on a different platform, whether it's desktop or mm. like mobile, let's say. And uh, yeah, that goes back to that sort of really important kind of aspect of making sure it's accessible to everyone. Um, but in terms of what I'm excited about for the future, um, I've just been playing around with the Quest 3 headset, MetaQuest 3. Nice. And... Uh, Yes, again, one of the best parts of my job is just ordering in the latest toys <laughs> and yeah, having a mess around. But tough job. the yeah, it's a tough job. Yeah. Um, the mixed reality aspect of it, I think, is so interesting. So it's something I kind of maybe got a little bit excited about before, um, but once trying the headset and actually putting it on, it's this whole idea of like you're not being completely disconnected from reality you're kind of having your real life enhanced with digital elements that are coming, you know, coming through uh, in the headset. Um, and I like the idea of us trying to create um, different experiences that 
actually involve like maybe you speaking with someone but like they're right there in front of you in the room and almost like having this connection between different headsets as well so that if you've got multiple people in the room all wearing headsets that then you can actually see them all physically in like real life rather than them being kind of like uh disconnected from you because you're all in like your own isolated world um so i think the connectivity between uh people and the more sort of like social element of learning uh will be a really exciting step that that um, some of this mixed reality uh, experiences will will take. Yeah, I you know I agree. I kind of similar for me. I, I I'd gotten excited about mixed reality in the past and just kind of for, yeah, it, that's been re you know I guess reignited. It hasn't been good enough to, right. to really be impactful. Right. Yeah. There's so much now. Um, well, this has been well, great. That's, that, oh. that's a good point, actually. What What are you guys most excited for? Oh yeah, you know. Oh man, that's a good question. I think the the thing that I say often is for me, what's just exciting overall about VR is it feels like, I mean, it really is changing the way people learn. That's the way I think about it. So whether it's training in, you know, an enterprise or corporate setting, or it's learning in a classroom, it's really just learning. And I think the speed at which people learn, the amount of information that they're able to retain, but then even the accessibility, I think is a point that doesn't get hit on enough being able to bring these really high quality training experiences to students in places where they wouldn't have access, you know, previously, or even, or even to new hires or employees getting access ahead of time and they come in ready to roll. I think to me, all that's really, really exciting. And I think there's a honestly kind of a bigger thing that we're all a part of here, which is helping change the way people learn in a very significant way. And so I think seeing that play out over the next five to 10 years and see how it, how it permeates, I mean, we're seeing, it's, it's totally industry agnostic. You know, the growth that we're seeing, we're seeing every type of company from all over the world moving training into VR. And it's, it's not, it's not, it's not industry specific. It's, it's totally agnostic. And so I think for me, um, that's, what's most exciting is just to see this massive transformation in how people learn. Yeah. I love, I love the forward thinking. I love looking at, I'm always trying out any new I, Google recently just, uh, release their uh, generative search engine generative uh, image capabilities where you can uh, you can ask it to create something just like Dolly or uh, Midjourney. So I'm always interested in that kind of thing. But honestly, my answer would just be we've been doing it for six years, and I'm excited that it's finally becoming a reality. <laughs> to hear to sit down with a company like SJP and to hear that you're using it broadly and that employees are actually enjoying it and using it. I think for a number of years, we were still asking ourselves, is this actually going to happen? Or is this a pipe dream? Or is this is this technology even relevant? Um, and I think it took some time. I think that there's plenty of people using it for gaming. That's great. Uh, that's fun. But to me, it is the, it's learn, the learning applications. And it's doing things. We always say that VR is great. This is a Dr. Jeremy Balenson from Stanford quote. But VR is great for doing things that are difficult, dangerous, or expensive to simulate in real life. And the example you gave about uh, being able to simulate a difficult conversation that might be embarrassing and where you might make a mistake in real life and being able to do it five or 10 times without judgment and then really feeling like you're confident and then you go in and you're in in that actual situation in real life and you feel like, wow, I've I've already done this. So to me, that what you just shared was Mm -hmm. what gets me excited that um, we're seeing that across the board, Uh, nurses, training, doctors, preparing for surgeries, Lots of soft skill applications, uh, not just hard skill, lots of soft skill applications. So I think uh, the real world applications after six years of feeling like, you know, 
at home at Christmas, my parents asking, is VR really going to be a thing? <laughs> Stories like SJP give me some ammunition to, to be able to answer that now. So, Hey, I got to say, it's been seven years. I have to correct because VR years <laughs> are dog right. years. So that's like, it's like another seven years adding that extra year. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, so you all are training financial advisors at scale. Amazing. And then yesterday we interviewed a group that's using VR to train astronauts, right? So it's like, it's, it's permeating everything, right? I mean, it's just so awesome. Um, but this has been great. We got to wrap. I know we're at time for everybody and we really appreciate you guys. I know you're busy and the time change and everything. Um, one thing you have your own podcast journey to the metaverse. Where can our listeners find that if they want to check that out? Yeah, it's on Spotify. So if you just type in every day school day, um, into the search bar, you'll find it under St. James's place. And just one quick thing on that we do. If you watch our um, episode four is actually done in VR, so it's a Ooh, broadcast. Yeah, cool. I'm a podcast. A podcast is a broadcast. Ooh, we'll I like put that it. in the show codes. Show notes for sure. Yeah, I and mean, we actually go into virtual reality. But there's a four part series which takes you on a journey to the metaverse. Is what we called it. Love it. I love and it. actually, talking about the AI, we just recorded a podcast yesterday around how our brains learn and how AI can help and not help with that. So that episode will be coming soon. So make sure you like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Awesome. Love Amazing. that plug. Thank you, guys. Oh, that, was that was great. That was strong. Thank you so much okay. for having me. Thanks, yep. everybody. Talk soon. Yep. That was a great interview. Yeah, I love it. It's actually been a lot of fun to do the interviews with two people. I think we get kind of different perspectives, different energy. Uh, and once again, you know, a major financial services institution, top 100 in London. FTSE 100. Uh, taking VR training. That's a new. Yeah, the FTSE 100. <laughs> new term for us. Uh, but it's, uh, it's exciting to see companies of that size taking VR training so seriously. And um, legit. obviously they have, have big plans. Yeah, very legit. Uh, well, as always, we appreciate you spending a little time with us. Uh, make sure you check us out wherever you find your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.